Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglothies. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not here to judge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 12. Holy fuck, it's episode 12 of Anglophies. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And we don't really have an overarching theme to this episode. We just have a list of things we want to talk about. So we're going to do that. How is everybody doing today? Well, nobody's yeah, doing pretty good. That's you, better though. than Kaylee, considering what she <laughs> just waited into on Twitter. <laughs> oh, it's fun times. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I like politics, despite myself. And every year in Britain, it's conference season, which is kind of like the, the Republican and Democratic National Com- Conventions, but they happen every year instead of every four years. So right now, the Liberal Democrats, the party who are in government with the Conservatives, are having their conference. And they're discussing a bill that David Cameron wants to bring in, which is a porn block on all computers, meaning that every internet access in the country would automatically block porn. You would have to opt in. You can understand why this is a big issue for Britain. We don't have many joys. You know, summer has just ended. We've gone back to miserable weather. We need this, right? Um, (laughs) It's obviously, it's a ridiculous law anyway, because it would want, it would, you know, it wouldn't just restrict porn. It would restrict sex education websites, LGBTQ specific information websites even you know it blocks ridiculous stuff the school computers when i was in high school blocked turnip as being offensive that's how weird this kind of block is so right now this party the liberal democrats are discussing this bill and in reference to why this bill is a bad idea somebody brought up fan fiction so now the liberal democrats are all discussing fan fiction this really really concerns me it's like the opening of the pandora's box and now all of these politicians are going to go to their researchers and ask what fan fiction is. And because Rule 34 applies to everything, that's right, including British politicians, there's going to be a lot of sleepless nights. It's For like fear a, or other things, we don't know. It's like imagining your parents or grandparents wading into the internet. It really is. You know, I don't mind when politicians try to act like normal people. You know, if you want to get down with the kids, if you want to be like David Cameron and talk about how you like... No, he, he pretends he's a Radiohead and a Smiths fan, but it's it's quite funny because both of those bands have banned him from listening to them. <laughs> if you want to get down with all that stuff, go for it. I would prefer it if you acted like a robot because, you know, it's a bit more realistic. Don't don't Google fanfiction. Don't. Just, you will sleep a lot better if you don't. Particularly if your name is Nick Clegg. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. We've already made a lot of gay marriage jokes about you and David Cameron. Don't Google fanfiction. For your own safety. It just now I can just imagine if Obama and Biden found out all the room, you know, the slash fiction about them and how the <laughs> internet ships them so hard. You think Bo <clears throat> Biden hasn't already found it all and gleefully told his father? Do you really <laughs> think that hasn't happened? I think that's happened. You know they've all at least discovered dirty politics confessions on Tumblr, right? <laughs> With all those really weird women who fancy Rand Paul. The man with hair like a pubic wig. Speaking of sleepless nights. I'm genuinely concerned for all of the women who fancy the British Chancellor George Osborne because he just looks like he's desperate for something to whip. And considering the rumours that have gone around about him. 
I'm just saying there are lots of dominatrix rumours about that man. <laughs> then again, British politics is in need of a good sex scandal. We're seriously falling behind all the other countries in Europe on that front. It's true. It used to be something we were really good at. <laughs> well, d- don't you have the royal family for that? True, but it's been a while now. I they're know, now to... they're all boring and Fed domestic and Prince William quit the military. Yeah, he's going to go and save Africa now or something. Mm. Mm. We've still got Harry, but, you know. Even Harry's calmed down and, you know, yeah. I like to think all he needs to do is be within, like, you know, a a 50-mile radius of Las Vegas or any sort of casino or swimming pool. And then an alarm goes off and he just can't stop. Yeah, Harry with his clothes on that aren't a Nazi uniform is considered calm down. In related news, he is going on an expedition to the Antarctic with Alexander Skarsgård. I don't agree with this. How on earth is Alexander Skarsgård supposed to take off his clothes in the Antarctic? How? It's not a TV show anything. that should be just broadcasted live like the Truman Show. <laughs> I would <laughs> watch that. Really, that you are underestimating the Swedes. I really do feel like this would be a challenge accepted on the front of Alexander Skarsgård. I've seen that picture of him posing with his all of his brothers and sisters, and he's just standing in the background with his top off. Yeah. Um. There we go. We're putting the challenge down, Mr. Skarsgård. Do it for charity. Do it for the polar bears. Purposes. <laughs> Do it for research there aren't, purposes. There aren't polar bears in the Antarctic. He doesn't need to know that. I think he does know that. Yeah, but we don't know that. Like, we're, we're running out of excuses here. He just needs to do this. I understand that he needs to do this, but we don't need an excuse. Just, you know, it's a, it's a good thing <laughs> for the world. Sir. Sir. All we need to do is tell him that Prince Harry's going to do it. <laughs> there we go. And then we'll tell Prince Harry that Alexander's going to do it. And then it's everybody wins! Listen I to love this it when it it people. <laughs> for great shirtlessness. That's right. <laughs> I feel like we've started this podcast off on the right foot tonight. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody who's going to be like, well, if a bunch of guys were talking about women like that, you'd be all like, oh my god, sexist. Well, you know us women, we just hate men. That's right. Except for Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. And even he had to take off his shirt for that to happen. I like I like um, Gustav, too. Gustav Skarsgård. There are a lot of scars guards. There are a lot of scars guards. They're they're filling up TV fast. All those Hemsworth to keep up with. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, oh, we wanted to mention the follow up to the Hugo Awards. Seeing as how we have had in our one year on air two Hugo nominees. That's right, and they're both losers. Well, that's not true. Shannon did win for the podcast. Yeah, Shannon, along with Elizabeth Bear, Lynn Thomas. Catherine Valenti and Paul Cornell won Best Fan Cast with SF Squeecast for the second year in a row, which was awesome. Um, Mark did not win for Best Fan Writer, but my second choice did win, Tansy Rayner Roberts. It should be mentioned. uh... Tansy Rayner Roberts, who does talk a lot about um, feminism and other such issues in science fiction and fantasy and we're going to link to her webpage and you should go read her stuff because she's brilliant yeah uh i just wanted to mention uh what raiden um told me earlier about shannon and her co-hosts uh withdrawn from the nomination from now on right yep they want to leave the field uh i guess open to fresh uh winners starting next year 
That's right. Which is pretty awesome. But for Shani to have one for her books would have been even more awesome. Exactly. But she still is the first person to have ever appeared on the Hugo ballot five times. So that's very exciting. Um, in other Shannon news, her October Day series has just been optioned for TV. So that's very exciting. Um, it's just been optioned. And that just happened like a day or two ago. So there is no word on when or if or who, but if you have suggestions on who should play Toby Day, I haven't read the series, so I don't have any suggestions on that other than Tatiana Maslany for everybody, <laughs> which is just the general catch-all answer. Um, let us know. Email us. Tweet at us. You know, you can get a hold of us. You know how. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> uh... And speaking of podcasts, now we've mentioned Shannon's, and there's a few others we've been listening to. And we've been dying to tell you people about Night Vale. You know about Night Vale. You know about you? Night Vale. And if you they're... don't, why don't you? People who don't know <laughs> about Night Vale you. don't have Tumblr. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Twitter. Or Facebook. Or they apparently don't have the internet. No iTunes, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. Number one podcast in the world. It took over NPR. Uh, along with everyone else, we've discovered it during its surge of popularity in July. <clears throat> Marathon the entire thing over two days, and I'm now completely and utterly in love with it. Yeah, it took me about a week to marathon through the whole thing. Still got a bit of catching up to do, but I need the right circumstances to listen to it in. But it's completely worth the effort for you to get into it. Mm-hmm. It will. The time will fly by. In strange and mysterious ways. And I just, I really like the attitude the creators have. It's not just, you know, the podcast themselves, but the way they incorporate the indies, you know, musicians. And just, so to give people a voice, you know, a place to be heard and, you know, broaden their audience. And it's just, you know, you, you get a sense of real decency from them. And it's just something I like about the podcast. Yeah. And okay, if if you are one of those rare unicorns who has managed to avoid Night Vale entirely or is going, I keep hearing about this Night Vale thing, but I don't care what it is. What it is, is it's a twice monthly podcast that the premise is that it's a community radio station in this small desert town where the sun is hot and the glow clouds hover above us while we pretend to sleep. And it's like Prairie Home Companion in the voice of Stephen King, kind of. Or Twin Peaksy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that kind of thing. Crazy, random, wacky shit happens all the time. And the, the, the voice of Night Vale, his name is Cecil... And he's very kind of nonplussed about everything that happens. But he gets really, really excited about cat videos. It's so cute. (laughs) It really is. It's very atmospheric. Uh, Worth a listen to. The... Of, um, Rain, you mentioned Stuff Mom Never Told You, which is from the, I believe, Discovery Network family podcast. 
it's through the How Stuff Works <clears throat> family of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's become one of my favorite, favorite podcasts that they update three or four times a week. And they just talk about... Um, the way they describe it, Kristen and Caroline are the hosts of that. And the way they describe it is um, lady information. So there'll be podcasts on things like, you can tell that I'm vamping while I look things up. Like, <laughs> is kleptomania a female disorder? Or let's talk about short hair. I mean, it seems like, sometimes it seems like really inconsequential things, but they'll... They'll discuss how studies of like how women with short hair versus long hair are perceived in the workplace and by other people and that kind of thing. And it's very female-centric, great information. I love the banter they have and kind of the relationship they have with each other. It's quite awesome. They did a really interesting episode a couple of days, a couple of maybe a week ago on the Bechdel test and pointed out in response to the inevitable, why isn't there a Bechdel test for men? Yeah. Well, if we did that, the movies that pass that would be called movies. <laughs> yeah. It's um Bechdel test has, I've seen um, discussions on it recently. We'll I'll see if I can find some links, but I think it came up um, with regards to Pacific Rim and people saying how, you know, it's, a indicator it's not the indicator and a movie that passes it is not necessarily a good movie because you know any kind of completely stupid conversation can pass it um and it's been brought up in, with regards to pacific rim because i think te- pacific rim does not ha- pass it but it still no. has that really fantastic female character yeah um and so people have been proposing the makamori test right which so it you know, it's it's interesting because it's it's kind of been in the pop culture consciousness recently being reevaluated because, I mean, what, it's 20 years old at this point? It's 20 years old. It's still really frustrating that so much of media doesn't pass it, but using it as the single benchmark of, is this thing feminist or not, yeah. is short-sighted it doesn't it doesn't address all the issues it only addresses one and it's a fairly simple one to fix that um and i'll it's not I'll one that necessarily up. makes your movie feminist if it passes anyway technically you can pass the bechdel test by having two women have a conversation that slags off another woman exactly i think if you use the bechdel test as a benchmark to have your movie pass as quote-unquote feminist congratulations on setting yourself some really freakishly low standards yeah because the test was never intended to be used that way it was just a sort of an indicator so that people could have a look at this issue that they may not have noticed before and say oh okay that is a problem yeah did you guys read um the post now it was linked from tumblr i'm not sure if it was originally posted on tumblr by a woman who was uh, a screenwriter and she went through cinema school, right? And she said, well, the reason they don't pass the Bechdel test is that your professor, the professors would specifically tell her, tell their students, never write conversations between women. Nobody wants to listen to them talk. That doesn't surprise me at all. So, in fact, aspiring screenwriters, you know, when they were... Uh, yeah. actually being taught, would taught never to write, you know, to write fewer women characters and never to write women characters interacting because what could they possibly say to each other that's interesting? 
as taught by these older men who just can't imagine. It's a structural <laughs> problem. Um, you know, less than 13%, I think, of all directors currently working in Hollywood are women. The number of studio heads that are women is far lower mm. than that in terms of screenwriters who are women, particularly ones who are um, high profile. That's an extremely low number. It's not going to be solved by taking one very small marker and saying, well, if we all did this, it would be better because it mm-hmm. goes far deeper than that. Yeah. Um, going off the tangent to the podcast, I just want to um, add a quick addendum to Raiden's because I also listened to one of the How Stuff Works ones and the one I like is called Tech Stuff. Uh, and the basically anything relating to the tech industry from refrigerators <laughs> to computers, they'll do. Um, I, and I really like the ones where they go into the background histories of various uh, companies. So, but really, um, How Stuff Works has what two dozen at least? At least. There's something there for anybody's taste and interest. And if you're just looking for new podcasts to look to, just go to How Stuff Works and look through their list. I'm sure you'll find something. Um, another good podcast to listen to if you're into Hannibal stuff, which I know that one or two of our listeners are, or horror, is A Matter of Taste. And they, they gave us a shout out in their last episode. So, returning the favor. Um, they, they did episodes for all the episodes of Hannibal. Then they discussed all of the Hannibal movies, um, some of which they discussed with Clea Linda. And I believe the current plan is that they're going to be doing episodes for The Walking Dead when that starts up. Um, they're two guys. They're pretty cool. Very smart. Very young. They didn't know who Alan Alda was. It was... <gasps> What? A little oh, painful. <laughs> but Cleo schooled them. Oh, good. So, and they've demonstrated a willingness to learn from their elders. So that's good. It's good. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, there's my, my roommate's podcast, Fucking Well Feminist, which discusses um, political... And social constructs around feminism. And um, it's recorded at my dining room table while I record this one on our couch. It's good times. (laughs) Um, And you should definitely listen to that. It updates more or less weekly to semi-weekly. And I will link to that in the show notes too. So there are all sorts of things you can listen to on your commute. Oh, um, just one last thing is The Made of Fail now has a, a new edition. We do? Um, yeah, Masters of Carpentry. What? Uh, Noel, who was in our uh, Fairytale Adaptations episode, and Alex, uh, Adrock, and Julia, who do Two Idiots in Love, and um, Made of Fail listeners will recognize Alex's voice from Galilea. They've teamed up to do uh, a John, John Carpenter uh, podcast, and they call it Masters of Carpentry. The first uh, episode just went up. Oh, I get it. <laughs> okay. I didn't know about this. I feel like we should be getting some sort of made of feel newsletter. Yeah, no kidding. A memo or something, people. Exactly. Or, you know, have like a made of feel conference where we all get together and we're given the updates on the company. 
<laughs> Wait, that's that's happening. That that'll be in, in April. Or we could just all follow each other on Twitter, which is how I found out. We do follow each other on Twitter, <laughs> but sometimes I have this thing called a job oh, that keeps me away from Twitter. <laughs> Occasionally, it's very annoying. I don't have a job, so I don't even have an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, free shout out to my three favorite podcasts that are not made of feel related. They're pretty well known, but you should listen to them anyway. Um, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, which is four people sitting around a table talking about weekly events in pop culture. It's great fun, and I basically devoured it while I was studying for my finals last year. Um, the radio BBC Radio Five Live Movie Review Show by Mark Kermode, who's the most well-known film critic in Britain. He's known for being extremely opinionated and annoying his co-host greatly um some of the funniest film reviews you'll ever hear go on youtube and listen to his review of sex in the city 2 where he uses the phrase capitalist pig dogs and then starts singing the internationale and also tv on the internet which is the podcast by todd vanderwerf who's the tv editor of the av club and it's co-hosted by his lovely lovely wife libby and they talk about tv every mostly weekly it's sort of irregular but this they've mostly been concentrating on talking about specific shows every week so they did an episode on broad church they recently did a breaking bad one they also did a hannibal one and they really like hannibal but they have differing opinions on abigail hobbs so go check that one out just to see whose <laughs> side you're on and they're just generally adorable so go listen <laughs> to that one raiden and i think last time we did this you and i forgot uh the dbsa podcast didn't we yeah, we did. And we almost did this time. We almost did this time. The, DBSA uh, stands for Dear Bitches Smart Authors. And that's the podcast with Sarah Wendell of Smart Bitches and Jane, Jane, Litt. Jane Litt of Dear Author. And that's on romance novels and readers and publishers. And they very often interview authors. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should check that out too if romance is your bag. We still have to have our romance episode, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we have this list <laughs> of episodes that we need to do and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So we're going to have this podcast for a while. <laughs> I think that wraps up our podcast. And the next thing in the grab bag is something for you two to discuss while I sit back because I don't watch TV in the summer. I haven't been Ex watching that much TV in the summer. <laughs> oh, except um, so you think you can dance. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. We don't get that here at all. So, which is amazing oh, well, because Cat Dealey from us. Yes, Cat Dealey. I was about to say, and she is nominated for an Emmy. Something else we'll be talking about later on. Um, in yeah, this episode, she was such a staple from my childhood. She used to host a Saturday morning kids' TV show with Ant and Deck, which I was completely addicted to when I was younger. So it was Are very you weird. Joking? That Is that where she's from? She was. Yeah. I. You know what? I honestly had no idea of her back background. Cat appeared full Kat formed from the head of Zeus. From the sea. <laughs> I will send some of these I, these YouTube clips you could link to of a TV show. It's called SMTV Live, and it was basically the quote-unquote cool kids TV show on Saturdays. So I have no idea why I was watching it. Oh, you're a cool kid, Kaylee. Aw, nobody else ever said that. Even my parents never said that. <laughs> well, to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed with my dad right now. He's getting very into Hannibal. 
<laughs> he's currently watching was, the um, he's currently watching episode ten right now. I'm very pleased. While eating curry. Yes, while eating curry. Good for him. I couldn't stick around to watch the end of the episode with him, so I'm quite excited to hear what he thought of it. <laughs> but he's been yeah. bugging us when second season starts already, so I feel like that's progress made. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, so you think you can dance? There's a couple of us made of failures who um, tweet about it. If our listeners watch it, please join in. Tell us that you do. Although not this year, because that season just ended. Yeah, but they are renewed for next year. And to be, you know what? Shameful confession. I didn't even watch the the actual finale. I heard the winners, and I was like, eh. I watch most of the performances. Um. I've been, for our listeners, I've been working on special election campaigns all summer, and we had our final general election day on Tuesday, which was finale day, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched about an hour and change of the finale before I fell asleep. And I really don't care to finish it off, because I'm disappointed in the winners. <laughs> Do you watch any other TV this summer? Um, I've been watching Orphan Black, which is not on BBC America right now. Um, I have the DVDs. And you can follow along with my reviews on the Methadone List, which is a friend of mine from Mark Does Stuff and I are watching one episode at a time and putting our brain explosions on the internet for everyone to read. Um that's been on hold a little bit while Maya's been in France, bitch. And, um, I, like, this has been a summer of trying to catch up on stuff. Uh, most of the good summer TV is on cable, and we don't have cable. So, that makes it hard. Uh, I know that Burn Notice just did its series finale a couple of days ago, uh, much to the dismay of a number of my Twitter friends. Speaking of catching up, you're getting your Hollow Crown DVDs in a couple of days. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, the Hollow Crown for, again, the unicorns who don't know, who are you? <laughs> uh, is the like the War of the Roses cycle of Shakespeare's plays. I want to say Richard II, Henry IV, one and two, two and Henry V. Henry V. Correct. Um, yeah. Um, all done by... It's the Beeb, right? The of Beeb. course it is. Of course it's the Beeb. <laughs> well, every once in a while, ITV does a thing. We throw ITV a bone every now and then, but the okay. default mode is auntie. Yeah. Um, that involves people you may have heard of, like Tom Hiddleston. And who else is ben in Ben Wishaw. Yeah. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. That is coming out on DVD in the U.S. on Tuesday. And somebody got me an early birthday present, which means that I will have them on Tuesday. And I believe they start airing on PBS on the 20th or possibly the 30th. It's one of those if days that ends in a zero. That hasn't happened yet. So that pretty much narrows it down to the 20th or the 30th. (laughs) Did I mention that I'm really tired? Friday, September 20th at 9pm. Boom! See? I got it right the first time. 
and they're very, very good. They really are. I mean, oh. we do this kind of thing well, but we don't tend to, to adapt the histories very often. Mm-hmm. Certainly not Henry the Fourth, which is quite a tough one to tackle, and Richard II, which is sort of forgotten. And I thought they were done very, very well. Tom Hiddleston is a really wonderful Hal. Oh, he absolutely is. No, there. I rewatch these. These, they, the. I mean, Shakespeare's plays are great, but it's one thing to have it a play, and another thing to make a great movie out of it. And they really did make great movies out of them. Um, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm going to end up watching them with my Riverside Shakespeare open so I can follow along. I always have this secret fear whenever I watch Shakespeare that I'm not going to understand the language. I'm going to have no idea what's going on and everyone's going to find out that I'm an idiot, which has not yet been true, but <laughs> I still have this fear. That's the fear every English literature student ever has had, myself included. <laughs> Guess who's playing Richard II at the Royal Shakespeare Company's next production? Who? David Tennant. Oh, I'm coming to visit. <laughs> I still want to see David Tennant's Much Ado About Nothing. With Catherine Tate. Promised us a DVD of that. No. Like they did with, with Tennant's Hamlet. I'm sure we have the DVD of that. And Britain, I'm... I'm sure we, we, yeah, we as in Britain or we as in the Donaldsons? <laughs> I don't think we have it in our household. Sorry. For those who are not yet convinced to watch The Hollow Crown, some more names that appear in The Hollow Crown productions are Patrick Stewart, David Suchet, Michelle Dockery. You want to watch these movies, people. Trust me. This is some if of the best Shakespeare. nothing else, will give you classy cred. And if yes, of course, we'll have a podcast about them. For to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> And where my mother yeah. gets the Tom Hiddleston thing. <laughs> it was we were walking through Tesco's one day and they had a copy of uh, the movie magazine Empire on the shelf and it had Tom Hiddleston as Loki on it. And we, well, we walked past it and then about ten seconds later, my mom says, "He's quite good looking, isn't he?" Nice who? Who? And he went, "That Loki guy." Like, oh, it's Aww. begun. Um, Tom Hiddleston. That? Even your mother gets it. <laughs> you guys have seen the the video of Loki at Comic Con, right? I, I think I'll have to shore that. I don't watch videos. I have Tumblr GIFs. <laughs> the video is worth it. The video is definitely worth it. It really is. <laughs> There's a man who really enjoys his day job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah good for him. <laughs> and uh, Hobbit DVDs come out on... The extended Hobbit DVDs come out on November 5th. See the problem with of life runners. The problem with that is, I want them, but I'm probably just gonna wait for the set. You know, because they're gonna have the full set once the three movies are out, and then someone will edit them together to make one movie the way it was supposed (laughs) to be made. It's when my when my husband moved up to Canada, we ended up the 24 hour movie festival. Oh yeah, Lord of the Rings. 12 hours of the Hobbit and 12 hours of Lord of the Rings. And that is something that we're going to have to train for. Hey, I'm the one who did the entire Tenth Kingdom marathon while ye, all of you slacked off. I didn't slack. Excuse me, I did it. Bored. <laughs> Excuse you. Some just... of us put our university insomnia to good use, thank you. <laughs> yeah, when my husband moved up to Canada, we, between, between the two of us, had probably like three copies of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we had to consolidate and give some away. <laughs> Hey, I have friends who 
only after like 20 years of marriage did they finally go, okay, I guess this is going to stick. Maybe we can clear out some of the duplicates in our meeting collections. <laughs> Emmy I nominations. Have a show that I watched this summer that I would quite like to talk about. Oh, yep. you do? Does, I do. does I England have TV? I'm sorry. <laughs> she's I, not I, in I thought you just go to theater. God, she's Your not in TV. Your was Edinburgh Fringe. We already heard all about it. <laughs> Very funny. I did, well, there was like the whole few months before that and then after that. I did do some watching. But I have to catch up on this one because I did miss out because I was busy this August, I've mentioned before. Um, it's The Bridge, which has been showing on FX in America. It's the remake of the Swedish-Danish TV show of the same name. Well, obviously not. It's in Swedish, I believe, the title. Or Danish. I don't know. It's a remake? Oh, I'm going to have some of it. (laughs) And I was very apprehensive about the show because the last time America remade a a Scandinavian drama, they remade The Killing, and that was terrible. Do not approach the American remake of The Killing. It will ruin your life and not in a good way. But the remake of The Bridge is about this murder that happened on the border between USA and Mexico and the detectives from each side of the border who get to get a try and solve the case. And that really doesn't do it justice. It's a strangely fascinating take on the original material and it works really well because it tackles the um, the relations between the USA and Mexico in a way that I've personally I've never seen done on TV before. And from what I understand... It's not something that's approached very often on TV in America. Uh, it talks about the issues of immigration in particular. The border they're on is Texas, by the way. So obviously immigration comes up. Discussions of human trafficking, of the corruption in the Mexican police force, um, and institutionalized racism, etc. And the actors in the main roles, Diane Kruger and Damien Bashir, are absolutely brilliant and have amazing chemistry. It's really interesting to watch uh, Diane Kruger's character in particular, Sonia. She's a woman who is on the autism spectrum. It's never specifically mentioned in the show, but the promotional materials does mention it. But she's not done as a sort of, oh, she's, you know, she's autistic, but she's quirky and she can solve crime. She's actually very affected by her condition. She can't communicate with, um, and sort of, she can't empathize with anyone really at all. And it, she has to struggle with that and why people think that she's very strange. But she's also an extremely competent police officer who's dedicated to her job. And I just find that she's a really fascinating character to watch. She's often very cold and prickly, and I've seen a lot of people describe her as a quote-unquote bitch because, you know, female characters can never be unlikable on TV, apparently, or in film or anything. They have to just be bitches. Um, and the, the contrast it has with um, Damien Bashir, who's a Mexican actor who's really brilliant, who was Oscar-nominated a couple of years ago. Was it last year or the year before? I think it was the year before for so. A Better Life. Um, and the sort of relationship that he has with her is really fascinating. But he's the more sort of charming, charismatic policeman, but he's also a, a cheating dick. <laughs> so if you get the chance to check it out, I, the mystery element of the crime that's going on is very interesting, but it's nowhere near as interesting as the um, characters trying to solve the case. And I usually find that with shows like this. For me, it's kind of like Hannibal in the aspect that I find the crimes and stuff interesting, but I'm far more interested in the characters. Mm-hmm. I think we said the same about Elementary. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've actually like seen that. an episode of The Bridge because a few of my friends are really into it and quite liked it. Um, it, it was good. It's just, I don't think it grabbed me that much, but I could see where the attraction comes in and uh, definitely is 
you know, kind of a quality show to check out this summer. Yeah, definitely give it a go. Um, we and we're also remaking it ourselves in Britain in conjunction with France. Except our version is going to be called <laughs> the, the, the Tunnel. tunnel? It's good. It's called the Tunnel. <laughs> um, okay. And I believe Clemens Posey from Harry Potter and in Bruges is going to be in it. Uh, I'm far more apprehensive about that one because I can't really see the dynamic of Britain and France working quite as well as it does with um, USA and Mexico. Do you think it would have been better if it was uh, UK and Ireland? That would have been an extremely charged political show I don't think they would have gotten on the air. (laughs) (laughs) But saying it had gotten on the air, do you think it would have made Um, something to be... I think that could have worked pretty well, actually. Also because there'd be some really amazing Irish actors they could put in it. Mm -hmm. I would really like to have seen that one. I will watch The Tunnel if only... Because it would be interesting to have a comparison between all three shows. Mm-hmm. We are essentially plundering Scandinavia for everything right now. In, in Britain, um, BBC the, the, Four... There's a joke in there about, you know, plundering the Skarsgårds. I'm sure our listeners are making it right now. Yep. Yes. Well, well, in the well gaps, ladies and gentlemen, plundering the Mickelsons, I believe, will be in there somewhere too. Because Lars Mickelson's in the killing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which everybody in Britain got really addicted to because BBC4 showed that and they showed Bargain, which is the Danish TV show about um, government in Denmark with the first female prime minister, which is also really interesting. And I believe America's going to remake that as well. Actually, I'd be interested in an American remake of that. I think that could work quite well. But then again, I didn't really like Commander-in-Chief, so... No. I guess it depends who's See, running it. I did like that. Well, um... We are kind of tentatively, this for our listeners, talking about um, a political shows episode, so we'll probably bring these up again in more detail. I thought. Yes, I would quite like to just talk about the thick of it for like half an hour. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm supportive of that plan. We all need more Peter Capaldi in our lives. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, check out The Bridge, um, check out a bunch of Scandinavian TV shows, because Denmark and Sweden are all over this stuff. No Norway, though. I wonder what Norway's up to. Fishing. <laughs> Fishing and death metal. Yeah. Now there's a TV show I want to see. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about Emmy nominations? Fuck you, Emmys. Fuck you. Uh, uh, translation for listeners that means Tatiana Maslany was not nominated. Tatiana Hannibal got zero nominations. Yeah. yeah. Zero. They kept nominating the newsroom, but they didn't nominate Hannibal. Seriously, screw you, Sarkin. Can I talk about the newsroom for like two minutes? Sure. Sure. The newsroom was made to be hated. The newsroom is everything that Fox News tells you liberals are like. The newsroom is what happens when people take something I really, really like and dump all over it. I cannot express how much I hate this TV show. Let me give you an idea of why I hate this TV show. She's going to try, though. I'm going to try, because I'm nothing if not a tryer. I'm not a quitter. So Aaron Sorkin's new TV show is The Newsroom, and it's set, as you can tell, in a newsroom of a, a cable news channel called ACN. And it's on a man, the newsman called Will McAvoy, who's played by Jeff Daniels, who I wish would just go back and do Dumb and Dumber over this. And he is the ultimate, I'm a complete and 
utter arsehole, but I'm right about everything, and I'm going to give big, long, elegant speeches about why I'm right about everything in politics, and the right is evil, and everything I say is right, but I'm still a Republican, but that's how you know that I'm right. And now the weather. No, let's not have the weather. Let's have more of me talking. Let's have more of me walking and talking and being arrogant and making really sexist comments about all the women, but it's okay because all the women in the show are complete and utter imbeciles who are totally incompetent of doing anything right. And that's how you know that I'm right. And now I'm going to make a casual racist comment about Dev Patel. Now I've got that out of the way, let's bring in Jane Fonda to get her Emmy nomination. She's done her job. Now let's talk about the tea party for 20 minutes. Yeah, and the this other... reason I don't like the show. They talk about <laughs> real-life events. They're covering things that actually happen. They talk about the Deepwater Horizon scandal. They're talking about the tea party during the midterms. They talk about the shooting of Gabrielle Giffords. Now that is given its own episode... And this is how it starts out, it's found. He's being, he's in a meeting and he's arguing with someone. All of a sudden, Alison Pell, who's playing the world's most incompetent woman in this TV show, in the middle of a love triangle, to make it worse, finds out that there's been a shooting. Then, Fix You by Coldplay starts playing. The entire song plays while this scene unfolds as they're covering the news story. And then it comes up, as it happened in real life, the NPR had declared that Gabby Giffords had died. So they're deciding whether or not to put this on the show because they haven't confirmed it themselves. And this is big dilemma while the swelling notes of Coldplay play in the background. And they decide because they're the good guys in news. They're the ones that do everything right, unlike everyone else in news. Because Aaron Sarkin knows what's happened because he's doing this three years after it happened. He decides not to cover it, which was the right thing to do. And then Chris Martin sings, I will try and fix you and I try and kill someone. That got quite angry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> You are not sorry at all, and that's okay. <laughs> the thing is, the show, I can't even hate watch the show anymore. I can't even do it like I do with Law & Order Special Victims Unit because it just makes me so angry. And there's no good-looking people in it. <clears throat> hey, hey, there's Olivia Munn. Is that her name? She, that's the strange thing. Is for, I, I'm not the biggest Olivia Munn fan. She is the only tolerable character in this show. She's playing the sort of, like, the quote-unquote sexy finance lady. And she's the only woman on the show who's capable of doing anything because Aaron Sorkin cannot write women to save himself. It's true. Um, we've we're in the uh, in Mark watches. He's nearing the end of season three, and we just got of the West the string. Wing. Yes, season three of the West Wing. I'm sorry, and we just got through the string of season three episodes where Sorkin was basically using his show as a bully pub pulpit to shit on everyone who has ever criticized him is this Including... television with a petty one yes we we just did that one on wednesday oh um, that actually happened <laughs> you know what let's talk that's... about this because that's a funny thing that's an interesting thing that happened that's it that yeah <laughs> this is a thing that actually happened on network tv so television without pity you all know what that is and back in the day um when it was it was still mighty big TV at this point, the recapper of the West Wing was a Muslim woman who I want to say she was also Canadian. Well, it was a Canadian. It started. Uh, it was started by Canadians, so it was a Canadian website in the beginning. Yeah, and the recapper was Canadian. I want to say she was Canadian, and. Every so often, Sorkin himself would come onto the boards and talk to people. And when he came back after a blow-up where he and a writer kind of got into it, 
when people were like, Sorkin, you're sort of taking credit for everybody's ideas, even though this story that won an Emmy was based on his father's death. And you're saying, no, 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 I had to rewrite the whole script. Like nothing of it, nothing of his stuff was left in it, except that's not true. Sorkin left, came back to discover that season three, which was the season that happened um, After right that. around 9-11, yeah. the whole tone of the show changed. And you can tell exactly when, at what point 9-11 happened in the writing, because the tonal shift is so drastic. And the whole attitude of the characters of the show are acting like they have lived through this giant terrorist attack that didn't happen in their universe. And the anti-Islam rhetoric is pretty, pretty gross. Plus there's Sorkin's problems with female characters and his whole attitude towards minor continuity which is i don't go i don't worry about that too much why should that bother with my little stories and so he wrote an episode in which josh discovers the internet and i got it without all of this backstory that episode is pretty funny um because josh discovering the internet in, a, in like the most implosive way possible is something I enjoy until you realize that when Sorkin is talking about all these crazy people on the internet and they have rules for their moderation boards and they yell at you and they're you know clearly too involved in their little internet world to worry about anything that actually matters, he's using his show to beat up on people who said... I really like this show, and I'm kind of disappointed in the tone that it's taken. Yeah. Yeah. It was very... This is something he stopped doing. The studio, studio 60 on the Sunset Strip features a character who is essentially Kristen Chenoweth, who dated Aaron Sorkin, and he basically uses this entire show to beat up on the fact that she was a devout Christian. And mm-hmm. he does it in that typical sort of, you know overtly smug liberal oh i'm aaron sorkin and i know what's best for everyone you troglodytes way yeah just if you're going to break up with someone don't do that yeah and don't... Just say that i dislike aaron sorkin's writing i haven't seen the west wing but i really liked his work that he did on the social network mm-hmm. the thing was he didn't get free reign to do whatever the hell he wanted on the social network because that wasn't his project that was david fincher's yeah the thing with the newsroom yeah, is that's i still had a problem with the social network I think we talked about this in an earlier episode just because I feel like when you I know he didn't because he was basing it on a book so it wasn't really Sorkin's fault I don't think necessarily but they took so much liberties with a real person's life yeah there is a huge issue with that the book itself is by Ben Meser called The Accidental Billionaires and right. he himself he's a non-fiction writer who writes non-fiction like it's fiction in terms mm-hmm. of the style mm-hmm and he admits that he says, I'm not telling a nonfiction story here. I am telling a story. And that's problematic within itself. It's problematic. Um, I have a book signed by him. Because I'm sure, like, to. I'm sure a lot of people believed it. I mean, how many people would go up and look up Zuckerberg's biography, right? I just there think. There wasn't it's much it. of a biography for Zuckerberg until the Facebook thing, anyway. 
Yeah. And there's an interesting story to tell with that, but considering the fact that all the legal battles were still going on when this movie came out. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. I mean, He's that happens anytime movie. you get a biographical movie is it's some version of the, the truth, truth and it's usually often not even that truthful. I just think it's telling uh, from an interview with Zorkin that when he was told that Zuckerberg used to list The West Wing as one of his favorite shows on this Facebook page, his reaction was, oh, I wish you hadn't told me that. Like, ah, uh, I really wanted to do whatever I wanted with him, and now I find out that he liked my work. That's a shame, because I'm still going to be an asshole. A short-lived <laughs> crisis of confidence for Sorkin. That's a characteristic. Yeah, right. <laughs> And he's now got a season three of the newsroom, so I hate to think where he's going now. Because right now the show is covering the, um, well, in Britain anyway, they're covering the 2012 US election. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the other reason the show is kind of terrible, is we've already seen all these events happen. Yeah. There's no, there's no tension with, here. We I mean, how it goes. the newsroom's basic premise is Aaron Zorkin believes that journalism is dead. You know, the guy who wrote The Social Network believes that true journalism is dead. And he's going to write the show, and he's going to tell you how it should have been done. Yeah. He's a well-off straight white man talking about the quote-unquote good old days. Yeah. Because that means something totally different to him than it does to us, or people of colour, or LGBTQ people. You know, it means something totally different. But it doesn't matter, because he knows what's right. Yep. You could also call the entire show, you know, Hindsight's 2020, because, yes, Sorkin, we're sure you would have made all the right calls without actually knowing all the information that you know now. Yeah. The other thing it, that I mean, happens, if wanted, like if I wanted analysis of cable news, I would go on Salon or Slate or Media Matters or something. I don't want to watch it on HBO. <laughs> the other thing that happens in the 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 Sorkin versus Tewop episode is he tries to get the final word in on art versus entertainment with the the title of the episode is the U.S. Poet Laureate. And there's a character played by Laura Dern who is, shockingly enough, the U.S. Poet, poet Laureate. And she has this whole speech she gives to Toby about how you think an artist's job is to provide you truth and really what my job is to capture your attention for as long as you're willing to give it to me and truth doesn't matter, which is shitting on the head of every artist that has been oppressed socially, financially, politically, physically, for trying to present truth. And you're saying, Sorkin, that, you know, don't worry about truth. Truth just gets in the way of my little stories. So why are you so worried about it? Because I'm just an entertainer. I'm not interested in truth. That's bullshit. That's a cop-out. The West Wing is a show that I love, and it has informed a lot of, like... I'm working on these campaigns now partially because of that show. And then to have the show piss on my head and tell me, oh, no, it's raining. Don't worry about it. Fuck you. Just fuck you. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean to get very Russian, but I just, no, lo- I just love to we tell like Zorkin, you, you know, <laughs> you know, go live in a country the, when the government did censor artists for telling the truth. And tell them that that's what that's not what they were supposed to do. You know that they wasted their time and oh, it wasn't their job. Because yeah. that that's a thing that you know. 
Hmm. Now look at the sheer amount of books that today are banned or, or challenged in schools in America, or even now I believe they're trying to do it in some, some faith schools in Britain, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't do that unless they were afraid of something. <sighs> and it's not yeah. because they're afraid of lies. Yeah. Didn't we start talking about Emmy nominations? Yeah, but this is the potpourri tangent palooza. Exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in conclusion, fuck you, Emmys. <laughs> On the topic of um, of Aaron Sorkin thinking that he deals in lies, not truth, despite the fact that he writes an awful lot about real life, I'm very interested to see what happens with his Steve Jobs movie. Because he is adapting the Walter Isaacson official biography. So Austin not the Jones movie that just came out. Not with... the one that just came out. Another one that's coming out. I don't know who's directing it. But the official biography, which was written by Walter Isaacson, the very very good one, apparently, um, that's what he's adapting. Hmm. Okay. Oh, the film is being adapted by Sarkin and will be based on his, his own research in addition to the biography. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. That's it. That's <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> so, yes, Hannibal didn't get nominated for any Emmys. Let me see something, because this might be one of those Alina segues. <laughs> I want to see if, this, if the Jobs movie that's out did play Tiff at any point. <laughs> um, but I don't think it did, because I, I, I kind of feel like... <sighs> It's very hard to Google for, you know, for a movie called Jobs, because that's not the results you get. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, which happened over the last couple of weeks. I didn't go, because I could have been watching the, the vampire movie with Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston with Tom Hiddleston, but I didn't buy the tickets in time. I will never forgive myself. That's right. <laughs> I'm looking at you with such profound disappointment. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. (laughs) I am judging you. I am judging you. (laughs) Yeah, so um, as usual, Hollywood migrated to Toronto for a couple of weeks uh, to show off movies. And they were good. And uh, we do have a a senior TIFF correspondent, but because it's still going on, uh, the the report will be in the next episode <laughs> because I have uh, friends who are not scrubs like me and who actually do go to TIFF and see all these amazing movies. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of coverage. Uh, some of the movies that like I wish I, I, you know, got on the ball in time and went to see. Uh, well, this one I wouldn't have had time because it conflicted with my work schedule. But uh, Penn and Teller have a documentary called Tim's Vermeer. And it's about the reproduction of a Vermeer painting. And it just looks like it would be very interesting to watch. Because basically they're, they're putting their debunking skills to work to kind of reconstruct how the specific painting could have been done in certain styles. Because there's all sorts of theories about it. Uh, which, so, of course, the, the Tilda Swinton, Tom Hiddleston movie. Oh, gosh. And the name's on the tip of my tongue. You guys know what I'm talking about. The vampire one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jim Jarmusch. Only Love is Left Alive. That one. Uh, the, that was playing TIFF this year. Uh, what was... Uh, Gravity was playing TIFF. And, you know, 
I saw the trailer, had absolutely zero desire to see it, but it's getting these rave reviews. I so... really want to see it, but it kind of seems like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I used to have a lot of nightmares when I was a kid about getting launched into space and someone like pulling the oxygen plug. Oh no. So that kind of seems like the a total nightmare fuel experience for me, but I will probably go for it anyway. Uh, 12 Years a Slave is working and Raiden's gonna link you guys to uh, the best <laughs> this conference ever oh my god her Steve McQueen yes yes like people asking him the stupidest questions like how does your movie compare to Django Unchained well they're different movies why wasn't your movie at Cannes we weren't done with it yet <laughs> but it should have been at Cannes. Yeah, but we weren't done with it yet. <laughs> Did Brad Pitt consider taking Michael Fassbender's role? No. Wasn't his, wasn't his to consider. So. Uh, yeah, another I'm very one... glad that movie's getting great reviews, though. Um, yeah. With casts like that. I'm, and particularly because I really want Chirotel Ejiofar to get more attention. Because he was my choice to play the 12th Doctor. But. If he ends up getting like an Oscar nomination instead, I would be very happy what, with that. What what I worry about is that all of the white dude supporting actors are going to get nominations and he's going to get ignored. Oh, and I God. really hope that doesn't happen because, I mean, I've only seen the trailer, but he looks like he totally rocks this shit. According to the reviews, he's totally rocked it. Three of the frontrunners this year, at this point in time, for Best Actor Oscar are Trudelegia for, for 12 Years a Slave, Idris Elba for playing Nelson Mandela, and, oh, it's his name, uh, is it Michael something uh, from Fruitvale Station? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. Terribly. Michael B. Jordan for Fruitvale Station. Oh, from Friday Night Lights? Yes. We love him! <laughs> <laughs> we love him! <laughs> so, Hollywood, you know, we're not on best terms here, or the Academy, just... Seriously, think about these things before you make your decisions. Hmm. Yep. Here's another thing playing at TIFF. Uh, the, the last showing is actually starting in a few hours. A Japanese remake of Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Ooh. It stars Ken Watanabe. Uh, okay, it's directed cool. by Lee Sang-il. Uh, and this one my friend, I believe, is seeing. So I'll be able to, ne- next episode, to give you guys like, an actual review from from an audience not mine i'll be better next year i promise she said that last year (laughs) i'm sorry i am so ashamed yeah who had the opportunity to see much ado before the rest of us do you feel like lower at you do you feel it Unclean. Unclean. <laughs> Scrub! <laughs> <laughs> There's a movie uh, that actually, that isn't playing, but is something to watch for next year. Now, it's not playing, I believe, because it's not physically done yet. Uh, but you can, see, uh, tra- you can see a trailer. It's probably in post-production right now. It's called The Congress. And it's definitely the kind of movie you expect to see at festivals, so that's why I expect it's still, the post is taking uh, a while. So it's called The Congress. It stars uh, Robin Wright, uh, Paul Jen Matty, John Hamm. Uh, it's 
be loosely based on, or maybe even so much as vaguely inspired by uh, Stanislav Lem's The Futuristic Congress. Uh, and what it is, uh, so it it keeps none of the original story. I think it just keeps this idea of um, what is reality and being unable to tell re reality from um, an overlay of fiction over it. Uh, Robin Wright stars as kind of a version of herself. So she plays an actress named Robin Wright. who has an autistic child and she's retiring from acting. She needs the money to take care of him. So she sells to a movie studio the rights to her face and voice and image. And they create um, an AI version of her. If you guys remember the movie Simone, it seems kind of like that. But basically, yeah, they create this computer-generated Robin Wright that they can just use in movies. But it's a complete AI that feels like her. So it seems like this this quote-unquote fake Robin Wright is trying to get back to her son And she's traveling through these universe that's it's animated uh, in the non-realistic animation style. Uh, watch the trailer. It's very trippy. I think it's coming out uh, next year. I don't know if it has an official release date yet, but it might be worth keeping an eye on. It's directed by Ari Folman, who directed the animated documentary Waltz with Bashir, which was one of those sort of life-ruining, right. amazing pieces of work. If you haven't seen Waltz with Bashir, take some time out to check it out. There's nothing like it in film right now, or probably won't be for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it for movies, but I do have a thing about TV shows uh, to talk about, and I don't know if we promised this on air, but this was going to be our fall TV schedule episode. But we've decided to delay it because, you know, not all the pilots are out. And we really want to watch a lot of these pilots before we yeah. talk about them. Very few of the pilots are out that we really want to talk about. Amazon and, uh, yeah, Amazon, Hulu, the hell. <laughs> yeah, so instead I just put together a schedule of uh, when the pilots are airing. So in case you people are too lazy to Google that yourself. <laughs> And the first one coming up is actually tomorrow. Sleepy Hollow premieres tomorrow. So that's the <laughs> one about Ichabod Crane waking up in the 21st century. That used to be stable. That's now a Starbucks. Yep. Yeah, but that was also a Starbucks. Yes. Do you have them every block? Pretty much. Is there a law? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Downton Abbey premieres on September 22nd. Um, Kaylee, I just heard you roll your eyes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get the fountain thing. We've done, done so many better period dramas, people. This is our bread and butter. We put these things on an assembly line for you Americans, and this is the one you pick. This That's is the, the one the Emmys tell them to watch. No, we watched it before the Emmys told us to watch it. And, I mean, honestly, I think part of the thing with the Downton thing is that it's an era that really hasn't been touched a lot in American media. that pre-World War One, during World War One, and just post, um, it's just not something that we have focused on much outside of Prohibition and bootleggers. But that's the fun stuff. Well, yeah, but we've done it. Go watch Boardwalk Empire and leave me to my Downton and my pretty dresses <laughs> I will end up watching season four of Boardwalk because my dad is counting down the days for it. <laughs> There are times when your dad is adorable. <laughs> He has his moments. 
Uh, he's very, he, he asks me at least once every two or three days when um, Elementary's coming back and when Tar- Quentin Tarantino's making his new movie. Well, I'm so. about to tell you when Elementary's coming back. But before that happens, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is premiering Woo! on September 24th. Yay! At the same time in Britain, by the way. Even nice. better! I know! <laughs> at least you don't get it a week prior the way you did with the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> I had the week of just feeling like the best person ever for that. <laughs> also on September 21st, Person of Interest is coming back. And if you guys aren't watching it, why not? Person of Interest is one of my favorite shows on TV. It's so good. Uh, September 27th is Hawaii Five-0. Uh, the writing is stupid, but the people and the nature and Hawaii itself are pretty, so pretty. It's also one of the most diverse shows on TV in terms of cast. Yeah, there's that. You know, I, I kind of, I wish the writing was living up to everything else that has gone for it right now. Has a great theme music. <laughs> uh, and Elementary is coming back on September 26th, actually, the day before Hawaii 5 uh, I got slightly out of chronological <clears throat> order here. So yeah, and they're going to Britain. They're going to London, I believe, for the premiere. Or They are, uh, and they're going to meet are. Mycroft. Yeah. And he blows uh, things up. Raiden, you mentioned something on Twitter about Clyde and the writers. Clyde and the writers have ongoing battles on Twitter because <laughs> apparently Clyde is a little bit of a diva. Somewhere an intern is having a lot of fun with the Twitter account. Uh, side note. There's... I honestly, I don't know if the Clyde Twitter account is operated by anyone on the elementary staff or if it's just a fan run Twitter that they play around with. I mean, somebody's having fun. (laughs) Please tell me he's friends with Winston Graham. (laughs) Uh, Side note, Sherlock season three does not yet have a premiere date because they're not done. Yeah, they just finished filming a couple of weeks ago. And Mark Gatiss is is writing the first episode, so we don't have to deal with the Moffat episode until episode three of that, so... Listen to the oh. Speaking of which, we survived a Sherlock episode, and the Moffat fangirls did not come to kill us in our have, sleep. Have not come to kill us in our sleep yet. It's one. It's our second most popular episode. I was so amazed. I thought very few people would care, but apparently people care. I didn't think it would be most popular. I thought if it was, it would be out of infamy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you for your mercy, yeah. Moffat fans. Uh, Winston is following Clyde, but Clyde is not following Winston. Oh, how Somebody cool. should fix that. Yeah. <laughs> Murdoch Mysteries, the Canadian uh, Victoria mystery show, is uh, returning on September 30th. Um, Arrow uh, is giving Yay. us back shirtless uh, Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell on October 9th. My dad really likes that TV show, too. <laughs> I've never watched uh, it. Rain, which is the Mary Queen of Scots show, and I think we mentioned it during our uh, research purposes, October yeah. 17th. Yeah. Oh, oh it's going to be awful. I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be amazing for like the two episodes it's on TV. <laughs> Dracula uh, is premiering on October 25th. Um, I was with Cleo on Twitter recently, and we, we were talking about how she's like a Dracula, very apprehensive, and, and I had to remind her, that's what you said about Hannibal. Not sure if want. Give Dracula a chance. Um, I will say this. I think their Lucy and Mina castings are perfect. 
Lucy's being played by no Mina's being played by Jessica DeGao from Arrow, who was Huntress and Arrow, and Lucy's being played by Katie McGrath, who was Morgana and Merlin. And I think the the characters, as I remember them from the book, I think those actresses are really good at playing that. Uh, also, Van Helsing's being played by to- uh, Thomas Kretschmann, the German actor. So I actually think their casting's relatively on point, even though Jonathan Rhys Meyer still makes me go a bit. Eh. See, I. I first saw him in Gormenghast and I was a teenager and I thought he was dreamy and <laughs> shut up. I liked Gormenghast. I, I liked the book. It took me like months, but I did read them. Yeah, good books. Um, October 25th, uh, same day as Dracula is also when Grimm is returning to TV. And we ended on quite a cliffhanger last season. Um, and the last one I have is Almost Human in on November 4th. Almost Human is when Carl Urban returns to my TV screen and I will watch the shit out of that. <laughs> That's the one with the cop paired up with a android side um, partner. And he's very cranky about it. It's adorable. Because yeah. <laughs> I think now he, he's basically going to play Bones in everything he plays. He is a wonderful crank, though. He really is. He was also very good Dread, which I saw quite recently. Oh, yeah. Dread's fantastic. So, um, I think... Did that get a sequel? Well, they might be giving it a sequel because even though it didn't do too good domestically, um, it's really built up a following on DVD. And also because it was critically acclaimed, that there is some there is a, a little more clout behind that than they would have thought at first. Mm-hmm. So, we'll see how so, that turns out. I hope so. Um, Hannibal, of course, has been renewed, but I don't think has an official date for It'll be in season. April, sometime this spring. Yeah. Um, and Community has been renewed, but is also a mid-season replacement. Um, whatever the calendar date Community returns, it will be October 19th in our hearts. I want to say Community with Dan Harmon and without Chevy Chase is something I'm looking forward to. So... Yeah. Now there's an instance where people work very, very hard to separate the showrunner from his own ego. Yeah. And <laughs> he... And from the looks of it, Dan Harmon understands that, yes, that is necessary, because I am an asshole, but I try to provide you with a good show. And actually having your showrunner say, no, you're right, I, I am a dick and I'm working on it, but I'm still a dick is refreshing. Hmm. Um, when any other TV shows? I, miss? I, I feel like the CW has, right. Oh yeah. It has a superhero one. That's, you know, the CW rips off agents of shield. Oh, the tomorrow people. Yes. That yeah. one. Uh, Once upon a time comes back on September 29th. I just binged through, um, season two of Once Upon a Time because it showed up on Netflix. I still like that show. It's ridiculously silly, and it's kind of dizzying keeping track of who's betraying who this week. Oh, The Tomorrow People is based on a British TV show. Everything's based on a British. That's TV true, show. and it premieres October 9th In case anybody was curious. Uh, if it's not based on a British TV show, it's probably based on a Danish one. I think that's a new rule. Yep. To give a little bit of credit to the CW, they are going to be developing a drama about a transgender teen. Oh. Oh, yeah. Z, right? Is that what it was called? Yes. 
Um, I don't think they've really released any details about it in terms of what else is going around, if it's got an air date, if it's got a showrunner, I'll have a check. But it's a pretty big deal, and I'm I'm apprehensive because of it being on the CW network I don't entirely trust. But I would definitely be watching it. It's written by a playwright musician called Kyle Jarrow, and it's being produced by one of the um, producers of Milk, the film about Harvey Milk. So... Ooh, well, so it's got some names. Uh... The guy oh. who wrote it wrote a musical called A Very Merry Unauthorized Children's Scientology Pageant. <laughs> which sounds amazing. I kind of need to see that. Uh, Parks and Rec comes back on September 26th. That's uh, important. Yeah. Because maybe without Tina Fey... In the mix, Amy Poehler can actually win an Emmy. <laughs> Maybe. Well, if she doesn't, she still gets to sit on George Clooney's lap. So. It's true. <laughs> Who's she up against? Um. Oh. Well, I think she is up against Tina Fey this time, this year. But next year. Two. Is Laura Derham, Lena Dunham, uh, Edie Falco, Tina Fey, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus? Mm. I wouldn't mind Julia Louis-Dreyfus winning it over her because Veep is really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another show that if we ever do the political TV shows episode, we'll probably be talking about the Veep. Oh, we're, we are going to be doing talk- political... And we will I haven't talk- seen it yet, but I have heard good things. Yeah. It's very funny. Um, so can we talk about J.K. Rowling now? Let's talk about our queen, or my queen, certainly. <laughs> our queen. Oh, wait, no. Yes. You know what? Let's close with her because there is something we skipped. What did we skip? We skipped okay. Batfleck. <gasps> is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's 50,000 really angry fanboys <laughs> in a petition. <laughs> so if you've been living under the same rock that doesn't get Night Vale, then you will not have heard the news that we have a new Batman for the Batman versus Superman movie, and it's Ben Affleck. That Ben Affleck. The Geely Ben Affleck. <laughs> The multi-award Academy Award-winning Ben Affleck, which people seem to forget. Well, he was Hispanic um, last year, but this year he's Batman. <laughs> he's so versatile. I know. Josh Brolin turned down Batman. I would have quite liked to have seen Josh Brolin. I'm not going to lie. I think he, in, in my head, aesthetically, he fits that role more. I'm, I'm not against Ben Affleck as Batman. I'm against Zack Snyder getting behind the wheel of another superhero project. No, is he because if he had Superman killing hundreds and thousands of people by smashing into buildings, what is he going to have Batman do? He is going to be Crazy Steve from all the Frank Miller versions. Oh, I'm sure Snyder's Batman uses all sorts of guns. He's yeah. a good bad Batman. gun. Snyder will invent the bad gun. And you will hear thousands of comic book fans cry out in pain and silence forever. Pretty much. And they will shout, save us, and Zack Snyder will whisper, fuck no, and then blow something up in slow motion. <laughs> it's going to be like All-Star Batman and Robin by Frank Miller, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, I would actually quite watch that. <laughs> as long as they had Wonder Woman and wandering around going, out of my way, sperm bank. Because that not... is still one of the greatest wings ever written. Yeah. I say greatest, gonna... you know what I mean. Yeah. So obviously a lot of people were quite angry about this casting because, you know, we all needed a respite from news on Syria and a petition was put together because that is how we do things now. 
and 50,000 people have signed it. However, that is slim pickings compared to the other petition going around in terms of casting news, which has reached over 75,000. Because another big project announced its leading man and woman recently. You might have heard of that one. It's called Fifty Shades of Grey. And poor rally from Pacific Rim. Charlie. (laughs) Charlie. Why? I know. Why? Uh, Their lives will never be the same. No. There's a fabulous interview that he did where he talked about how he would only accept work projects that, you know, meant a lot to him and had real integrity. Trust me, the moment the casting was announced, Tumblr was all over that. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Captain Hindsight. That is going to... You know what? I still don't believe this movie's ever getting made. I think this... I don't think this will ever see the light of day. I think it's this humongously long practical joke. (laughs) I don't think this movie will ever see the light of day. I hope you're right. Look, if it's not porn, what's the point? Yeah, that's the thing, because they want to make it an R-rated movie, because NC-17 movies are, you know, yeah, notoriously dead arrival, they but they can't, can't make this an R-rated no. movie. As Rainbow Rowell, the writer, put on Twitter, it's just going to be two people sitting around talking about contract law. The only way I go oh, to see this movie... Badly. Badly. If... They're going to be talking <laughs> about contract law, law badly. Sorry. <laughs> um, Apparently, someone has read the script, and there's a very long discussion about sperm in it. <laughs> the That's only right. way I go to see this movie is if Charles Dance and Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> are narrating the entire thing. <laughs> reading the respective roles. Let Gilbert Gottfried be Anastasia <laughs> and Charles Dance is going to be Christian. That is the only version of Fifty Shades that will get my money. And they're sitting on big leather-bound chairs <laughs> next to a roaring fire. Absolutely. Smoky jackets and ascots, the whole thing. <laughs> There is part of me that's still holding out a teeny bit of hope that Sam Taylor Johnson, the director, is going to make this into, like, secretly make this into a project about a woman stuck in an emotionally abusive relationship with a controlling billionaire dick. But I think that's just me having too much hope. Yeah, is there's true. still yeah. part of me that really thinks that, there's a small part of me that thinks that this movie will flop. And then there's a part of me that remembers that E.L. James made $95 million last year. Yeah. But they're going to have to rush this movie. They've set a release date for, like, seven months time well how long does it take to make a porn parody <laughs> <laughs> seven months is plenty of time i read like the most derivative i mean it's the most derivative knockoff of 50 shades that i've ever like it was more derivative than the mortal instruments Ooh, that was the greatest Schadenfreuder ever. <laughs> oh my god, it was so beautiful. I had so much fun following let, that. Let me finish I, my thing and then we'll 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 go on we'll... To that. <laughs> this book was called A Million Dirty Secrets. <laughs> and it's about this girl who needs money for her mom to get a heart transplant. So she arranges to have herself sold to a billionaire for two years. So he pays $2 million for her. And seriously, it's like 50 shades without quite as much equipment. (laughs) It's seriously, I kept face palming my way through the whole thing. 
It was awful. How does one arrange to sell oneself to a millionaire? Like, I would like to... I want two million dollars. Where do I find this billionaire? Did she go to a club or something? Was there, she like, went a, to an address a club who, where she was assured that most of the women were involved in this consensually. Oh, yeah. But some of them owed the club mo- owner money, and this is how he had arranged for them to pay it off. But most of them were consenting, so it's totally on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Totally. I'm reasonably sure that that story originally was a Twilight fan fiction as well, and then someone bought it and she changed oh, the name. Oh, they're it. all Twilight fanfics. Probably. Probably. Thanks, and publishing. I mean, it was like to the point of the billionaire is super possessive and is like, I don't want you driving in the rain because it's dangerous. You should let me have my chauffeur pick you up. And all of, like, really? Really? Some publisher bought this? To be fearful, they're also buying a lot of Twilight fanfiction right now. It is now the new normal for Twilight fanfiction to get bought and published and make a surprising amount of money because I have no hope in anything anymore. Oh, come on. You mean the badness of the Mortal Instruments movie did not restore your faith in humanity? Uh, <laughs> not even Jared Harris with a flamethrower could convince me to put money down for that. It was so bad that uh, I remember distinctly this one quote. Nostalgia chick on Twitter said, this movie's so bad that she felt sorry for Cassandra Clare. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> the reviews for that have been the the cathartic experience a lot of people on the internet have been waiting for. Um, some of them have been just downright hilarious. Um, it's now 12% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it has the same rating as the Smurfs 2. <laughs> I saw a lot of people, no, I say, I saw a few YA authors who were defending the movie because it's default mode to defend Cassandra Clare. And they were saying that a lot of the attack was just sexist and how they didn't, people didn't want to see strong female characters in a film. Or they were all, they were deliberately set, preset to hate a YA adaptation. And I was like, hi, The Hunger Games. Yeah. Yeah. You might have heard of it. It did quite well. It's got an Oscar winning actress in the lead. She was commended quite a lot for that part. But, you know, don't let reality stand in the way. Yeah, you know better than that. Oh, speaking of which, the movie The Catching Fire. Uh, when does that come out? It's been a while. I'm looking that up right now. Scheduled for release November, November 22nd. Uh-huh. I haven't actually read Catching Fire. Fire. <gasps> I know. You, have you only read the first one? Then you have. I've read you have... the first one. The thing was, I try to keep up with a lot of the trends in YA because I write for the Book Lantern and things like that. I just. I liked the book of The Hunger Games. I didn't wildly love it. I actually thought the movie was better in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I just, my thing is, the, the, my best friend who doesn't read YA at all and kind of mocked me for reading it as much, he ob- obsessed with the, the Hunger Games. No, it's really great. I think uh, it's worth reading the second and third just to see because when you finish the first one and you see that there's two more, at least I had this question of, well, she can't just do the same thing over again. That wouldn't be, that would be, you know just boring and it's really interesting just how skillful she is at at making this trilogy and it's not repetitive because it's not all about the same thing mm-hmm. and so i think it, it was really worth reading the entire thing but it, it was also the book the end of which made me want to curl up one of the books the end of which made me want to curl up under blankets and go everything is horrible and hurts and nothing is beautiful in this <laughs> world and just leave me alone because my heart has been broken again I do tend to read them to keep up for the movies, and I'm also really intrigued by the casting they've been announcing for Mockingjay, because the the president of the in-world universe in the third one's been played by Julianne Moore. Oh, I didn't announce the president 
Alma, I think her name is. Present Coin? Really? That's it. Julianne Moore? She's played by Julianne Moore. Excellent. I missed that announcement. That's perfect. You know, I mean, Tilda Swinton was the name thrown around, and that would have been fair, but I can see Julianne Moore. Ooh. Hang on a second, I'll send a link. Yeah, I, I, I will watch Julianne I think Moore. It was, oh, it was just announced, wasn't it? Because EW has it yesterday. No. Nice. It says on Friday, so. September 30th. Yeah, so it looks like it's just been announced. I missed that. That is that is interesting. But speaking of uh, books that broke my will to live, now we can segue into J.K. Rowling, which is really the reason I suggested this episode <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> because, but we have so many J.K. Rowling news to get through. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the most recent first? I'm sure that's the one you guys have thought There's going to be a new Harry Potter movie! Everything is right with the world. Oh, she's so happy. <laughs> My lady have never renounced the old ways. Seven years forever. <laughs> Guys, it's Wizarding World in the in the 20s, the Jazz Age Wizarding World. It's going to be so fun. Okay, again, if you live under this rock, in which we should visit this rock. <laughs> this rock. This rock sounds peaceful. <laughs> Go to the rock. I bet it's in Desert Bluffs. <laughs> Night Vale people, listen to it. <laughs> um, it was announced to... Day, yeah, it was Thursday. Um, it's Sunday as we're recording this. So it was announced uh, last Thursday that there is going to be a movie version of Fantastical Beasts and Where to Find Them. And that J.K., our own jo- Joanne Rowling said, well, I know this world better than anyone and I just can't let it go, so I'll write the script. And Even the Harry s- Potter heads rejoiced. Even more specifically, um, Newt Scamander, who is, of course, the, the author of Fantastical Beasts, um, is going to be the protagonist of the movie. And J.K. Rowling just couldn't imagine having somebody else make kind of a definitive original version of him because she does know the character. He wasn't in the books, but she's one of those authors that has backstories for every character that wasn't in the books. Mm-hmm. And you he's know. also the grandfather of Luna's husband. Yeah. So, and she says that she has she has kind of an image and a personality for him. Um, of course, it, it didn't belong in the Harry Potter books. That's what wasn't in there. But she, she couldn't really let another writer do it different so she said she'll pen the screenplay and I mean there's legitimate concerns to say well she's not a screenwriter but I'm sure and she she doesn't seem like the kind of author that has a lot of ego so I'm sure once she writes you know the basis which is what she wants she wants to create the base the the character the personality make sure the world is right and I'm sure they're going to have all sorts of professional screenwriters do rewrites and cleanups and you know pacing and, and all of that so well she was always very good about that sort of stuff with the potter movies exactly Mm -hmm. making sure they kept to the continuity but also letting the writers work with the medium in a way that they they couldn't with the books so i have faith (laughs) i do jk doesn't let me down good old jk (laughs) i think it's great i mean there's been some kind of snide comments on tumblr going like oh prequels suck and well this isn't really a prequel in that it's set in the same universe yeah you know how many attached to the greater Harry Potter story. How many Discworld novels are are there? Nobody's sneering at Terry Pratchett. Oh, it's a prequel. It won't work. You know, and and I think in some ways, maybe it's great that this is a movie and not a book. Yeah, I think that there's, 
there, she's got this practically unlimited universe at her disposal and we all want to know more about it we also sort of say oh well we're happy to leave the potter story as it is but the chance to go back to 20s era um, wizarding world with fantastic beasts and where to find them and you scavenger i want that i don't care i want that especially since they said it's going to be starting in new york which is fine because the wizarding world is universal we've had you know a bit of it in britain let's look at what it's like in other countries mm-hmm yeah, I want to see Prohibition-era American Wizards. I think that's badass. I think it's badass. I... We were having this discussion online as well as to what other N. Potter stories would you quite like to see. Um, who was it? Um, I think it was Sandra Mitchell, the author, suggested I want to see the Gildroy Lockhart books stories. <laughs> yeah. And the contrast between how he saw it and how it actually happened. Yes. I want to see the Black Sisters of Bellatrix, Andromeda, and Narcissa because they're based on the Mitfords. And I'm really fascinated to see like the wizarding Mitfords. If you ever had... The society witches who go from freedom fighting to fascism. You know what I I realised? They're the Crawley girls from Downton Abbey. (laughs) (laughs) There must be an archetype, an essay somewhere about the archetype of the three sisters. Which is, of course, a Russian play. Anyway, uh... (laughs) If it's not Potter, it's Russian. <laughs> uh, well, Chekhov, and if it's not Chekhov Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, Dumbledore's life, the biography of Dumbledore would be the most dramatic, heart-wrenching book. Right, oh. and if this franchise breaks out, we could get a movie of Hogwarts A History. <gasps> I know! <laughs> that was the geek gasp right there. So what would you all like to see, listeners? Tell us what in Potter Universe stories you'd like to see, because we're not short of any. <laughs> Albus Severus rebelling <laughs> and refusing not to be called by that name. <laughs> so am I the only one of the three of us who's read J.K. Rowling's books, non-Potter books? I, have. um, I haven't read The Casual Vacancy or Cuckoo's Calling, I'm afraid. Yeah, so I've read both of those. The Casual Vacancy was the other book that made me want to curl up under the blankets and go, there is no beauty in this world. The meteor can come and kill us all now because everything hurts. Um, Which sounds like I didn't like it, but no, I loved it. It's a really well-written book, which is why it makes you lose all hope. (laughs) J.K. Rowling has this fantastic style where it's so easy to read. So it's page turner and it has some of that dry humor of hers that she has so I read it really quickly I finished it and I was like oh that was fun and then a couple of seconds passed no it wasn't everything hurts (laughs) everything's horrible oh my god I am so heartbroken right now and I just want to curl up and eat ice cream and cry it's a book I mean it kind of is about the ugliness of human nature and Maybe in some ways you can say that Rowling really is overcompensating for the fact that these are books for adults because she doesn't shy away from any of the ugliness <laughs> that happens in the real world. And I mean, Casual Vacancy, okay, should come with a trigger warning. Casual Vacancy has uh, a rape of a teenager happen on the page. It, um, so yeah, that book is not Harry Potter. And Harry Potter has had very dramatic themes. As uh, J.K. Rowling herself likes to point out, it starts with a double murder. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was written for kids, where this one is, no, she wants to take a scalpel to human nature and expose everything that's ugly. And she does. And it's really well written. 
and she does this thing where you know it's like the small community and how one change in it so the death of this one person can have everything fall apart for so many people um and even though this is not YA for kids uh, a lot of the main characters are teenagers i it in some ways it almost has that generational of like these are the stories of the adults who are so wrapped up in their own selfishness they don't notice all of these things happening to their children um or they don't care that these things are happening to their children um so that that was casual vacancy so if you don't go into expecting harry potter this is not gonna be you know steve close's first forays into hogwarts um but it's good writing and if you like jk rowling's writing and if you know what this is what this is um i thought it was a good book and when i heard no i did not pick up the cuckoo's calling because I love detective novels, but I just kind of stick, I stick to Agatha Christie and Rex Stout, and I like the old, but when I heard that Robert, Robert Gabler, you know, was J.K. Rowling, and I always said to myself, you know, J.K. Rowling's style always reminded me of Agatha Christie, and then she actually wrote a detective novel. How fast did I buy that book? <laughs> so fast. And it was basically all I wanted. I loved it. Um... Again, like that's that I thought her dry humor and her writing style it fit what I wanted out of detective novels, and I'm so glad that it's going to be a serious. I'm so happy that she's not going to stop writing because of the reveal. So I I really liked it. I think anybody who does like uh, detective stories, and especially if you are a fan of Agatha Christie, do read The Cuckoo's Calling. Um, I think I think this could really take off on its own merits. So I'm glad she's going to continue. Um, I do you guys think that was on purpose the reveal? I don't think I she no. did it, and I think that um, the the way that it was revealed that involved a, a lawyer losing his job because he did he lose his job. He presumably got fired for that. See, I never thought it was her, but I did kind of wonder if maybe every you know because everybody is making so much money off it. And it's revealed. Like I couldn't see her publisher being all broken up about it. I can't see her publisher being broken up, but doing it in such a way that professionally um, torpedoed somebody's career. Yeah, I suppose it's fair. Fair point. I don't think the publisher would risk their well-being with Rowling to do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was done. I don't think it was leaked by them. I do think it was as it happened, which was a lawyer who represents the company that was representing Rowling slash Galbraith in this case. He sort of accidentally blurted it out during apparently a dinner party conversation or something to a friend of his wife's. This woman then immediately got on Twitter, created a fake Twitter account, and told a person from the Telegraph the offers J.K. Rowling. Which just makes you think, how sad and pathetic is your life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you immediately are told this big secret and you have to go on Twitter and tell everyone? Like, I don't know, get a blog and talk about your own life. <laughs> or get a podcast. Or get a podcast. <laughs> this is worked out not bad for us. <laughs> what do you guys think about the fact that she wrote under the pseudonym in the first place? <laughs> I don't blame her. No, I don't blame her either because the sheer amount of nitpicking and prejudged sort of um, criticism that came for the, for the casual vacancy. Mm-hmm. She, it's not that she got terrible reviews. She actually got a lot of really great ones, but not a single one of those reviews could get all the way through it without 
making at least one Harry Potter comparison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no other writer, I don't think, will ever really have that problem to deal with in the way that she does. Like, maybe Stephanie Marwell, if she ever writes, but she has now since said that she's more interested in producing But she wrote writing. The Host, you know? So she tried writing something that wasn't Twilight. She tried writing something. I mean, I think she's still so butthurt over the Midnight <laughs> Sun bullshit. <laughs> they, she's still punishing everybody by not writing she- she was interviewed recently because she produ- her production company produced Austin Land, the movie based on mm-hmm. the Shannon Hale novel. And the exact quote, I believe, was she said that she was now so over Twilight. <laughs> I wish you'd been over it in about 2005, darling. Yeah. Can okay, you imagine Rowling saying, I'm so over Harry Potter? I don't think that would end well. No. Like, no. there would be riots. No, there, there would be riots. So and there's. critical. I'm so over Twilight. Really? Yeah, biting the hand feeds you much. Okay, here's a question. How much of her being quote-unquote so over Twilight do you think has to do with Midnight Sun and how much do you think it has to do with Fifty Shades? Fifty-fifty. <laughs> do you think she ever... <laughs> I, th- I actually think she's probably more upset about all these Twilight fanfics making tons of money than she is over like Fifty Shades. I think it's mostly Fifty Shades. Even I think Midnight it's Sun. quite a bit to do with Fifty Shades. I think she's probably, despite everything, sitting there going like, that's a fanfic, shouldn't be legal. I think she was the author who got on the phone to her lawyer saying, how can we shut this down? Mm. I'm still amazed that she didn't. I'm still amazed that she didn't too. Like, I'm still kind of surprised about the whole... And I mean, it's not like Fifty Shades is the only one. What was that one? Something about The Office or something like that? It's called Beautiful Bastard. Oh, is that the one? Yeah. It's not very good, and the offers are just constantly going on about, well, we wrote original stories, and this is mostly an original story anyway. You cannot even tell it's fan fiction. It's like, that's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but notice how all these fan fictions are being published. They're all Twilight ones, because they know that she's not going to sue now, because if she was going to sue, she'd have done it by now. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed that someone at Summit Entertainment didn't just step in and say, look, we have to do this. Because Rowling and her publishers and Warner Brothers were always very stringent about copyright with Harry Potter and, and rightfully so yeah mm-hmm. it just boggles the mind I need this trend of publishing fanfiction to just die already because <laughs> if it starts here it's not going to stop until someone sues mm-hmm. I would have thought that the lexicon case would have well, I no, guess that, that was different because that was non-fiction was straight up cut and paste mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't entirely get what fanfiction is mm-hmm like politicians, yeah, like like the liberal <laughs> democrats. We've come full circle. Look at that. <laughs> that was so planned. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, I. Before we move off the story, I just want to mention that Rowling, after the announcement, did say that all the actual proceeds from um, the Cuckoo's Calling, now that it's selling tons of copies and the shops are selling out, they're all going to like a veterans charity. I don't remember yes. the exact name because the um, the main character. Um, it is I can't remember if it was Afghanistan or Iraq. I think Afghanistan. It's in Afghanistan. Is he's a veteran, and so the persona, the author persona she created was is too. And um, I'd like to point out that you know main character with now a physical disability suffering from an actual injury, a missing limb uh, after his return from the war and PTSD. So that's <laughs> that's a thing. I kind of hope that um, J.K. Rowling just has tons and tons of pseudonyms all across the board in like every genre now. Everybody's J.K. Rowling. Everybody's you don't know this. <laughs> I had no idea Tolstoy was also J.K. Rowling. Wow, she planned ahead. 
it's just how else is she going to be able to really have that sort of freedom as a writer? Mm-hmm. Because as Robot Girl Brave before the leak, you know, the book was actually doing pretty well um, critically. And in terms of a new writer with absolutely no pub- um, publicity or promotion, it was selling not bad. I mean, they were all talking about, oh, it was a flop before it was announced. I was like, no, she was selling like every other mid-list writer, mm-hmm. which is what she wanted. Mm-hmm. So we wish her the best of luck as a writer. I hope she just writes tons and tons of pseudonyms and has it as like a, <laughs> a scavenger hunt across the publishing world. <laughs> she do one in every genre. See if we can track her down. <laughs> She has mentioned that she wants to write another children's book, which is she's described as a political fairy story about a monster. If that's really, not really catnip that. for you, Kaylee. I don't know what is. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing is, why have I not read The Casual Vacancy? That is just, it's a book about small-time British politics. It's so up my alley. Mm-hmm. I will be here with tissues and ice cream when you're done. <laughs> okay. I do intend to read it quite soon, because I do have it on my Kindle. So mm-hmm. I just have so many things to read. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. I have uh, an ARC of Shannon's Shannon McGuire's um, Parasite Tapeworm book, which is sitting on my Kindle. Um, for those of you who remember our Shannon McGuire interview episode, that was the book where, uh, where I said Rayden I wasn't going to oh, read it. No, never. I said I wasn't going to read it, and that's why it's currently sitting on my Kindle. Um, because uh, Sarah of Smart Bitches has hooked me up with NetGalley, which is a dangerous place, but it's kind of awesome. Are you on Edelweiss as well? No. What's that? I'm on uh, Edelweiss. Is like the other version of NetGalley, where like Simon and Schuster and Hyperion and stuff put all their ARCs. Okay. And I have accounts for both NetGalley and Edelweiss, and as you understand, I never have any free time. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I do have. Uh, an ARC of Parasite, which I will read. It may be good to read it now when I'm so exhausted because then I'll sleep anyway. So I've been told by a friend who was on her editing squad that it it was worse than anything Newsflash ever, ever did. Worse as in sleepless inducing, not, you know, bad writing, because she doesn't actually do bad writing. It's everything I've read of hers is great. Ugh. See, I'm exhausted, and I just sort of plabble. <laughs> Why do you guys like me? I don't understand. We like this you This was lots. your idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're really just tagging along for your ride. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <clears throat> That's all right. I think we've uh, just exhausted our little potpourri bag of topics. Pretty much, yeah. Which is really a suitable way to end. Oh my god, episode 12. Guys, we've been doing this for a year. Yeah, next year is going to be our one-year anniversary. Ep- or next year. Next month. month. It's going to be our one-year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really are tired. <laughs> I guess. Look, I've been working seven days a week for most of the summer. I've had two... This is my third full weekend that I've had off since June. Mm. So, yeah. Politics is exhausting. <laughs> Ain't it just? <laughs> and next month, it's Cleolinda and Hannibal. Cleolinda and Hannibal. Which I haven't Look, watched. I will people, watch in time for the episode, I promise. <laughs> people, I see you Googling, looking for Hannibal podcast, and you come to us, and you're looking 
waiting for it to happen. It has not happened yet. It will happen. It we're doing it next month because that's when the DVDs come out. It was this was planned. I see you Googling. That's not going to make it happen faster. Look, we'll post you the pictures of all of the casts and the flower crowns. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's... awesome. Which I don't understand. I just accept that as a thing. That's basically what everyone has to do. Yeah. You know, you know it's everything's made of people. You just accept that. You know that there are flowers. You don't know why you accept that as well. You accept the pretty. Like Aaron Abrams hugging a corpse while wearing a flower <laughs> And then another picture of the investigators three with the corpse well the corpse is wearing the flower crown because and mass mickelson in a flower crown that's right looking smug of course he looks smug wouldn't you and lawrence fishburne <laughs> which just it's brilliant it really is if you follow the official hannibal tumblr which is also one of the greatest things on the internet if only for the tags they yeah. have got a checklist going on of everyone who has now worn the flower crown Mm-hmm. Including Raul Esparza, and there has never been a greater Kaylee signal than mm-hmm. Raul Esparza on the set of Hannibal wearing a flower crown. It's true, it's true. Um, I think I just need Eddie Izzard, and I've got the set. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, though. Well, he's in season two. He is. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, you crazy people with your crazy fandoms. That's right. All right. So next month, Hannibal. After that other stuff that we have politics shakespeare we've got it all (laughs) romance um maybe some pizza i don't know theater theater oh yeah (laughs) theater nachos nachos there'll be nachos well i'll have nachos i don't know about anybody else but i might get some cheese in i feel like some cheese Mm. Mm. Getting really hungry now, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't too. munch on potpourri. Well, you can. It's just not good for you. It's not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> but your breath will smell very nice. Yeah. Your Depends insides potpourri, might be a little shredded, though. <laughs> anyway, so this has been episode 12, and that brings us to a year of, of girls going geek. And nobody's threatened to kill us yet. Yay! (laughs) See you all in year two. Bye. Until then. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.